You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. Back in 2012, Augusta National Golf Club, long revered in the golfing world as the Sistine Chapel of the game, announced with great pride, a joyous occasion according to former Augusta chairman Billy Payne, that the club had invited bureaucrat Condoleezza Rice and financier Darla Moore to join the club as its first female members. But the sad truth is that women had nothing to cheer about this joyous occasion at Augusta. That publicity stunt a decade ago did not represent any meaningful change in the club's policy of exclusion. It simply provided Augusta National with a convenient and high-profile validation that the club will continue to exercise its right to do whatever it wants, whenever it wants. Today, in 2021, there are only six females in Augusta's roster of approximately 300 members. So much for gender equality. So this podcast is not intended to be a rant against a private club's sexist membership policy. I mention Augusta National for two reasons. First, I think Augusta reflects in many ways the challenges that women face in exploring any interest they may have in playing the game and in being accepted as bona fide members of the golfing community, both on the professional and amateur levels. Secondly, it provides me with a relevant introduction to an individual who, unlike Augusta National, is actually doing something tangible and meaningful, both for women and for the game of golf. Donna Hoffman is a certified public accountant and a self-proclaimed former golf widow who over the past 16 years has built one of the most successful national networks of women who are providing opportunities to enjoy the game of golf on their own terms. By demystifying the game, Donna has removed the intimidation factor and empowered women to become comfortable and confident in a golf setting. Donna Hoffman is founder of Women on Course, which has redefined the sport to encompass business networking, travel, socialization, and personal style. And each year, Women on Course hosts around 800 local golf, social, and networking events across the country for its some 20,000 members. They also provide custom golf events and programs for organizations seeking to develop their female leaders. In addition to running her organization, Donna speaks to Fortune 500 companies on the value of golf as a confidence builder, as well as a business development tool, while providing beginners a fun and easy on-ramp to be part of the conversation. So at this point, I'm going to stop talking about Donna and let her speak for herself. Donna, welcome to Golf Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's a great summary of what we do. Okay, thanks. I'd like to start with backstories because a lot of times it, uh, you know, it's a question a lot that many podcasts don't ask, and I'm sure you've been on quite a few podcasts. So, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, siblings, schools, that sort of background? Sure. So, I grew up outside of Washington D.C. Very traditional 1960s, 70s upbringing. I have two younger brothers. My dad is a huge sports fanatic. He played sports in college and almost went professional for baseball. So I was introduced to the football, basketball, and baseball sports. No golf whatsoever, but I was sort of a tom girl, tomboy, and uh, went to college at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. 
again, that was, I did not realize when I got there that they had only accepted women five years prior. So I'm sitting in my accounting class, looking around the room going, wow, I'm, I'm the only girl in this whole class. So I was again in another male dominated college and I did go into public accounting, which again was a male dominated profession. Did being a CPA or getting a job as a CPA, was it, being a woman, was that a helpful or obstacle? Well, I'll tell you, the reason I went into being an accountant is my dad realized I was very good with numbers. And he said, you should be an accountant. And I said, that sounds extremely boring. And he said, no, it's actually exciting because you can work for a football team. You can work for hotels. You can work for movie companies. Everybody needs an accountant. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll check that box. Okay. So how long did you do that for? So I quickly realized that I was not working in a very exciting environment. We were, I was auditing banks and utilities. So I took his advice and I started to apply with um, feature films and movie companies. And I tried to get into a more exciting profession. So I moved from there. I went from Boston to New York and I worked at an ad agency. And then from there, my brother, who was going to film school at USC, wanted to make a feature film. And I said, well, that's not fair. He's having all the fun. So I quit my job and I joined him in making a feature film. So that was my next career move. You had a film company for quite a while, correct? Right. So we started, I saw how commercials were made in New York and I thought, well, we can do this a lot better. So here in Washington, D.C., there's a big military training films and they use a lot of actors. So we started to pitch our company to the military and ended up starting a whole film and video company here in D.C. for about 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Why'd you give that up? Well, believe it or not, when I started, it was film. So people were cutting film. We watched video be invented, and then we started to see the writing on the wall as people started to have their own video cameras. The internet came to, up to be, and we thought, you know, we're going to be out of business because everyone can make their own messages. So we thought, let's sell the company. And we happened to actually do a lot of top secret work. So I really can't tell you what we did. Okay. <laughs> but here in the area, we have a lot of defense companies and they wanted to buy a video company that had top secret clearance. So we ended up selling to a big defense company. Okay. And they probably took it down the drain, right? <laughs> Actually, no. Um, but I was only going to stay there for two years to transition our customers. So in the last six months, I discovered golf. And I came up with an idea to make a show about golf and to show women, hey, if you knew all the great things that were in the sport, you might consider it. So they actually gave me a budget of $100,000 to make a pilot because I was going to do a golf show. That was my idea. Who funded that? The defense company did. Why? Well, it's kind of a long story. I think they wanted to keep me happy. <laughs> And they didn't really know what to do with me for the last year. So they thought, well, if she can make a golf show and sell it to like the golf channel or the Oprah channel, let's give it a go. So they invested some money in doing a pilot. Okay. What year was that? I think that was around 2003, 2004. So the video was just coming on the scene on the internet. So people were starting to put video content on the internet. So we ended up selling the show to AOL. They're located here in the area. And they wanted to put some of our video content with their sports channel. And that's sort of how Women on Course became an idea. Okay. So before we leave the CPA topic, do you do your own taxes? I used to. I don't anymore. It's too complicated now. <laughs> okay. So also tell me more about this golf widow issue that you mentioned with some frequency. Yes. So I was married um, to one of the accounting guys that I met in Boston. He loved golf. And I went out a couple times with him and the guys. And I thought, this is the stupidest sport. All they are is in the woods looking for lost golf balls. 
and I quickly lost interest. So we got married and, you know, he would go out Saturday, Sunday, play golf all day. And I was home with three children thinking, who has five hours to go abandon their wife and go play golf? So that marriage didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, apparently he did. He had the time to do that. <laughs> he had lots of time. So he was more playing golf as a guy's game. Okay. So again, I had no interest in the sport. I thought it was terribly boring. If I was going to take an hour to get some exercise, there are plenty of other things I would do. Yeah. Well, nobody plays golf for exercise anyway, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I didn't know that. I was like, you know, if I'm going to take time. Had you taken any lessons at that point? No, he gave me one lesson when I was pregnant. And he's like, put the ball down and said, well, keep your eye on the ball. And I go, I can't see the ball. You know, I'm looking down and all I see is. <laughs> okay. So that was the extent of my lessons. It was keep your eye on the ball. And that didn't work. Okay. So you made a film sponsored by the government on introducing women to golf. And that led to founding Women on Course. That was 16 years ago. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, how you got it started, the challenges you faced? Yeah. So kind of interesting story. We were riding around in the golf cart with the crew trying to come up with the name of the show. What happened was the uh, show went on AOL and we set up a little website and we had over 30,000 emails from women asking, how do I get in the game? That looks so much fun. Where do you get those cute shoes? It was mind boggling to me. I was like, you're not supposed to like ask me questions. You're supposed to fund it and watch the show. So someone approached me who had been in sports marketing and said, you know, we could take this idea and turn it into an event platform. And I'm like, well, how is that going to work? And he said, well, let's try and spend a year together and try to get a sponsor of someone that would like to reach women in golf and we'll turn this into an event program. So we started at Fleming Steakhouse as a happy hour. And we got women together, business women who were interested in golf. And Flemings was so thrilled with the caliber of women that showed up. They said, we'd like to host this in 30 of our locations. So being a film producer, I said, well, if I can produce videos, certainly produce events. How hard is that? So we ended up attracting a sponsor. We had Mass Mutual, an insurance company. And we put on 32 happy hour events for the year for them. And that was sort of how Women on Course got started, just as a happy hour event to introduce women. To the game. How did you make the connection between happy hour? Because usually happy hour takes place after, right? After the game. So, how did you jump from happy hour to getting them out there playing on the game? Well, the idea, the way we promoted it, and again, being an accountant, I'm not really a marketer, but I just said, well, what would appeal to me? So we said, come meet some interesting women who are interested in golf. We're going to have maybe a speaker. We had some prizes, and what happened was after that year, women were saying, are you going to do golf events? And I said, no, you're supposed to meet each other and go play golf on your own. And they go, but we would like you to organize the event. This was so much fun. Could you set up golf events? So I belonged to a club and I talked to them. We came up with a format and tried it out. We did a clinic and then we did nine holes. And I quickly learned that women are fall into two camps. They either can take a lesson, but they can't play golf or they like to play golf and they don't want to take a lesson. So that didn't work for everybody. Okay. We eventually figured out that we divided the women into two groups, those who play and those that want to learn. And we started developing different formats for the different groups. Okay. Were these group lessons? Yeah, I ended up working with Club Corp. They're national. And so we set them up at different golf clubs. So we did a one-hour golf clinic. And then for the other people, we did nine holes. And we also came up with another format, which is a clinic and four holes for kind of those in-between people. And these became wildly successful. We ended up doing events with all three activities going at the exact same time. The lesson people, 
the clinic in four hole people and the nine hole people and everybody finished at the same time for the 19th hole, which is the best part. Okay. So you're as much an event management company as you are a golf company, right? Or maybe even more so. Yeah. It started to turn into events. It was getting to, so we hired an event manager. We flew around the country running the events, but what was unique about it is that we were able to create an event that someone who never touched a golf club and somebody who's a 10 handicap could all come to the same event and meet and network. Okay. Because we separated them all out. So take me through the growth of the organization and talk about, you know, by looks at your website, you have a, a lot of things going on at all times. We do. So take me through how you got there and how you manage it currently, because that's a lot of activity. Yeah. So this was really driven. I did not have a business plan. I did not have foresight of what this was going to be. I sort of got caught in the go mode. Let's just facilitate. And Women would come up to me. I traveled all over. They would ask me for things. And I'm an entrepreneur and I like to say yes, and I'm a problem solver. So when they asked me, can we join women on course as a member? I was like, no, you just come to events. And then I thought they were asking everywhere I went. And I said, well, women like to join. Let's just create a membership. Knowing nothing about membership, I just picked a number, set up some pricing and people started joining. Then what happened was someone introduced me to Callaway Golf. They said, you know, Callaway should really be involved in this. And I'm like, well, how do you meet the people at Callaway? I didn't know anybody. She goes, my husband works there. So, so I kept getting connected and I flew out to San Diego, met the people at Callaway and walked away with a sponsorship. This sponsorship was product. They gave me lots of product. And I'm like, what am I going to do with all this product? That was the sponsorship payment, an in-kind sort of deal. Wow. And I just found out people like, you know, information, like what club should I use? What shoes do I need? So I started as a beginning golfer. So we started really teaching women what you need to know before you get to a golf course to sort of make it comfortable. Because most people, it's I want to play golf and they think, well, let me sign up and play 18 holes. That's really not the progression of how you become a qualified pace of play, you know, good golfer. How do you communicate that information? Was it through video? Was it through classes, you know, on-site classes to get that kind of information across to members? Yeah, that is a great question because I can talk about it all day long, but to get the platform in front of everybody to explain it is very difficult because people have a perceived notion golf is 18 holes. So we did this mostly at the big events in each city. Either, my, either myself or one of my two event managers, we would stand up and do a presentation and talk about the philosophy of women on course and how we view golf. You know, you can play and keep score. You don't have to keep score, but you need to be prepared. So we did that through in-person. We did that through communication with our marketing pieces. But it was really a struggle to get that message across because everyone that came in didn't have the wrong notion of how this thing worked, including the golf courses. Yeah. The question I've always had, and this applies to men and women, is how do you teach people the nuances, the protocol of golf, you know, where to stand when someone's putting or driving, you know, just little nuances that say to, you know, seasoned golfers, this, because they don't really care, I found, how good a golfer you are, as long as you respect the unwritten rules of golf. So how do you teach that? So very interestingly, at one of these big events where I take the new golfers, I literally teach that. It's a two and a half hour class. We, we start in the pro shop, we go out on the golf course, I play a hole, and I just do it as if they were brand new. Where to stand, what to say if you miss the ball, you know, how not to draw attention to yourself, all those little, and after people finish that class, 
they go, every single women on course member needs to take this class because even seasoned golfers don't know a lot of these things because they never took lessons in etiquette. They just play. And if they don't pick it up, so COVID actually has been sort of a blessing for us because we had to quickly pivot and start doing Zoom events. We were shut down. I thought, okay, the company's closed. We can't do our events. So I figured out through Zoom, now I can be in front of 100, 200 people and do these classes. So once a month now as part of our membership, we do virtual events and we do them called, you know, prepare to play. And I go through, you know, each little thing. Are those archived on your website or, or do you need to be a member to access them? How, how does it work? We put a few on YouTube. And again, you know, coming from a video background, I really need to take a step back and videotape some of these classes. So we have them out on the golf course showing them. So that's kind of on our to-do list to get some of these done. It's funny because I literally hundreds of golf instruction videos on online, but I've never seen one on etiquette. I think is as important as learning how to hit the ball. You know, just in terms of relation, your your ability to have fun and to not feel like you don't know what's going on on a golf course. Yeah, one of the things I did in my film and video company at the end when I was doing the golf videos, we we ran into an LPGA pro and we actually shot three hours of instructional videos, and we had a whole one on called "Prepare to Play." And every segment was two to three minutes. Again, a lot of people are busy and they just want the information fast. So putting this content into two to three minute clips, fast, 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 people can absorb it because I'm very impatient with learning things. I just want to know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) So how many members do you have now? Or or don't you disclose that? Yeah. So what we define our group as a community of women you don't have to be a paid member to participate in any of our events. Of course, members get preferred rates, so it's more advantageous. So we have right now, we communicate with about over a little over 30,000 women. Wow. Now, are these connected with private clubs or public clubs or both? I mean, how does where do they actually hold these events? So we do both. We do everything. A lot of private clubs will do the lessons because they want to get their instructors busy. And if the women are coming to, say, the private club you know, once a month, eventually they may join the private club. So it's actually a great for private clubs to get people coming and familiar with the, the golf course. What I found is when people are joining an organization, as much as the content, it's who am I going to be interacting with, especially for women. The number one reason people join is the women they're meeting. These are women that are supportive. They're not judgmental. They're accepting. We strive really hard at these events. Every single one has an ambassador there who makes sure everyone's included. So it's not a clicky the same 20 ladies coming every week. It's fresh. It's always got a new infusion of, of people. So you you or your staff are not at every event. couldn't possibly be. You train these ambassadors essentially to manage the local events? Yes. So the way we're structured is we have markets. Uh, they're not called chapters. There's no president, vice president, treasurer. We have one of our members stepped up in each market as the leader. That she may have a full-time job or part-time job, but she's doing this because she believes in our mission and wants to grow and meet new people. So that market leader develops a group of other members who are welcoming their ambassadors. And so when they're attending an event, they'll serve as the meter and greeter. Okay. How do those events generate revenue for you? Or is there no direct connection between what happens there and your organization? Yeah, they're really, the golf courses are the people that get all the revenue from those events. So really those 800 events are member benefits. We don't really generate a lot of revenue from there because if we started to mark up the cost, it becomes more cost prohibitive. 
although we do do trips. So the trips, we just completed our 26th trip. It's a weekend event. Those we do package, golf, food, lodging. So we do monetize and make money on the trips. And they're wildly popular. They sell out very quickly. Are those women-only events or are there spouses involved? Well, everything we do is open to everybody because we cannot discriminate against anybody else. So Women on Course is, is welcoming everybody. But I would say most people that participate are women. A lot of people, we have a new term, they bring a travel companion. Okay. So we're actually going to Portugal, finally, fingers crossed, in the fall. And so if you want to bring somebody that does not golf or not participate, they can still travel with you. So if you want to extend your stay, you can explore the region of where we're going. Okay. Do you still give out shoes when people become members? Well, we'd like to. People still talk about the shoes. We do some specials sometimes. I'm guessing you regretted that, though, because that must have been the logistics nightmare. You know, in terms of sizing and everything else, is that tough? I love the operations and the nitty gritty, which really is one of my struggles is to get out of doing that and grow the business and get out there and network. But I do love the little details. Pre-COVID, were you on the road constantly? Not really. I was very smart. I had one a person that was out of Florida and one person out of California. I'm based here in D.C. So we basically, at the beginning of the year, we divided up the country and we decided who was going to manage which event. And so I probably travel like once every six weeks. Oh, okay. What about this past year? Has COVID really been a challenge for you? Has it disrupted the organization significantly? Well, at the start, we had a full calendar. I had to cancel every event. Then I had to modify every event. Some states were open. Some states were closed. Some they changed the tea time. Some you couldn't go in the clubhouse and go to the bathroom. So I had to constantly keep changing the descriptions, solo carts, double carts. It was quite a lot of work, but it was just booming because the courses were so slammed with business because it was one of the only safe things you could do. So we actually had a trip um, to New Jersey in the summer and people were canceling left and right. And we said, you know, well, let's try it. So we actually did the trip. We had 25 people. No one got COVID. We did everything outside. Cool. So it kind of worked. Where was the New Jersey event? Uh, Seaview on the Jersey Shore where the LPGA plays. Yeah, that's a nice old course. Yeah. Well, talk to me a little bit about your relationship with the game. Do you play or are you laughing? <laughs> Do I play? So you didn't ask me how I got into golf or being a golf widow. Okay, go for it. <laughs> so this one gentleman I met did not tell me he was an avid golfer. And he literally spent the weekend golfing. So on our third date, he took me out to his club for lunch and I'm out there and I look and I go, this is a golf course out here. You don't happen to play golf, do you? And he just smiled. And I'm like, what? What are you smiling? Because I have a surprise for you. So after lunch, he took me down to the driving range and had a golf lesson set up for me and a bag of clubs. And lo and behold, I got that ball up in the air. I was hitting drives like a mile. And he had everyone surrounding me. Look at her. Look at her go. Look at her do this. Because I'm pretty athletic, but I never you know, I was playing baseball. But So then he took me on a trip to Palm Springs, a golf trip. And that's when I fell in love with the game. And I said, wow, you can like be outside and it's beautiful and you have a glass of wine. And that's where I got the idea that women should be playing golf. And he knew for this relationship to work, he had to get me to love golf. So he introduced it to me in a totally different way than the other. What happened to him? So we're married now. <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah. Okay. In fact, our 15 year anniversary is Thursday. Ah, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So maybe you inherited your dad's athleticism. 
you know? So, yeah, so I played a lot of golf in the beginning. Mark is his name. He got me on the driving range. He made sure I could hit the balls and make ball contact. And I really progressed. So I didn't go out to the golf course for the for, until a year. And I knew the yeah. etiquette and I was very prepared. So I went through this process that is what I'm now teaching other women. I played with the club champions and, you know, they're all two and three handicaps. And I'm sitting there hitting my ball a hundred times just to catch up to them. <laughs> so I invented these ways to manage and still stay with the group. So right now I play a couple times a year because I'm so busy running this business. I don't have time to play. But you know what? You know the etiquette and that's all that matters as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> you know when to be quiet, you know where to stand, you know to fix your ball mark, all those things that serious golfers take seriously, right? Yes. And playing with serious golfers, you cannot ask them for what you're doing wrong. You can't complain about it. You just have to be very quiet. You have to look like you're a pro out there and just move your ball around because they don't like, I got invited back every weekend because I just didn't bother them. And I picked up so much just being serious about it. Yeah. That's really important. I got a lot. I got better because women, I find they talk and they're distracted and they, you know, it's your turn and they don't have the right club and then it's taking too much time. And yeah, they're very social. Do you tell them that? I mean, do you give them the hard line and say, you know, hey, girls, you know, you got to keep quiet. You got to be ready to hit the ball. Do you say that kind of stuff to them? Yeah. I mean, I tell them two things. I say, first of all, don't keep taking swings over and over again. That's for the practice range. This is the golf course. The golf course, you have to move it. And if you want to chit chat, save it for the 19th hole. Yeah, my dad, who was a horrible golfer, never let me take a practice swing because he was so averse to wasting time on the golf course. At any rate, let me shift gears a little bit. Are you a student of the history of women's golf at, at all? Do you know any of the old you know, players who really kind of cut the way for professionals who are on the, on the tour today? Yeah, I mean, being in this business, when I would go to events, I'd hear people talk about Babe Zaharis or, you know, all these names. And I had no clue who they were talking about. Jan Stevenson. Do you remember what she, and I'm like, I have no idea. So I would ask my husband, who are all these people? What did they do? So I do know a lot just from being in the industry. Do you follow the LPGA at all? Do you watch the tournaments? I actually follow the PGA more, but I find there's a big difference between the professional sport and the recreational sport. And I'm more focused on the recreational part of it. Okay. That's fair. So you probably don't have a really a hard view of the state of women's golf in America, at least on the professional. Level. I do know there's no money allocated to women's sports. It's very pathetic that, you know, and there's no fans. I've been to LPGA events where literally there's nobody there watching. So it's sort of like a square peg in a round hole. Like how do you create interest among Americans to go support women's golf as a profession? But I think it, there's a correlation between what you're trying to do and that condition, because the reason why men, you know, why the purses are so large is because there's so many players who are going to buy the equipment. I think if there were more women players, I think the purses would be larger and there'd be more sponsorships. And, you know, I don't think it'll ever come up to the PGA level, but I think it can, I think there's a large room for, you know, increasing those purses and attendance. And what I think what you're doing is helping that or should be. Yeah. We've tried to actually do some seminars on how to be a golf fan, like how to watch the sport. Oh, cool. Because a lot of people don't understand, you know, it's one of the few spectator sports where you're walking around, you're not stuck in a seat, you know, watching for three hours, you can get exercise, you can be stationary. So when tours have come near our markets, we've organized events where we'll take people out to the tournament in groups and kind of teach women how to watch it, you know, 
what's all the signage and scoring and what's all happening. Can you clap? You know, that sort of thing. What to wear. I've had people show up for golf tournaments in, you know, high heels and a sundress and their shoes are sinking in the grass. They, oh, I have to walk. Yes. Yes. So they don't know what to do. So that's a whole separate group of what we're trying to do. Well, you should do that for men as well. I got to tell you that decorum at a lot of these professional PGA events has taken up nosedive in the past 10 years, as far as I can see. At any rate, uh, maybe Howard Stern has a lot to do with that and his people yelling Baba Booey when people <laughs> get their tries. <laughs> at any rate, for women who are not members of your organization, based on what you've learned from working with women who are initially interested in getting started, what is the best way for a woman to get started in, in golf, separate and apart from joining women on course? Yeah, I think the for the first thing is they need someone to mentor them into the game, whether that's signing up for a lesson with a golf pro who's going to start them off the right way or a friend that is going to take you up. But the worst thing someone can do is just jump in over their head. You know, maybe they're going to join their friends playing nine holes. They don't even know what to wear. And they're going to immediately feel out of place, ill-equipped, embarrassed, and maybe not come back. So the confidence factor of when you show up, you know where to go, you know what to do. I've had women leave a golf lesson because they're driving around and they didn't find the pro shop because I said, well, that's the store. I didn't need to buy anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. So they don't even know what a pro shop means. So they call me back and they go, Don, I went there. I didn't find the group. And they're, they've just wasted an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really fundamental stuff. You would think, but some of these golf courses are attached to hotels and resorts and it's very confusing. There's bag drop, there's the front door, or they walk in the front door of the clubhouse carrying their golf clubs. And then people are looking at them funny and like, what did I just do? So there's a lot of things. So just approaching a golf course can be very intimidating if you don't know where to go, what to do. So having someone with you the first time is probably the most important thing. Okay. Even going to a lesson. Yeah. One of my rules is don't have your husband teach you the game because you'll just pick up his bad habits. Again, and I'm sure. Unless he's a golf pro. Yeah. Well, even then, that then, then there are other issues. So what are some of the most common misunderstandings and fears that women have about the game? Well, the first thing is that it takes the only way to do it is 18 holes. Like you have to play 18 holes and I don't have enough time. So we debunk that right away. There's more and more movement where you can play a couple holes. You don't have to play the whole 18 holes. I think women are afraid they're going to be looking, they're going to look bad. They're not going to be good. They're going to miss the ball. They're not going to hit the ball well. So we try to tell them it's not important how you hit the ball, but how you react to how you hit the ball. Yeah, you need to know the right swear words. Correct. Right. <laughs> Obscenity knowledge is really important. Well, I like to tell women that 90% of all golfers, men or women, cannot break a score of 100, which means most golfers are not great. So that's the first thing. The second thing I tell them is if you're approaching the first tee and say there's men or whatever, when they see a woman approach, they expect you not to be good. Unfortunately, they don't expect you to be good. So all you can do is impress people. You get a great shot. Men, on the other hand, are expected to be good. They're athletes, whatever. All they can do is disappoint because if they had a bad shot, they'd fall in short. So you can only be impressive. That's what I tell them. So here's a suggestion. Tell your members to go to a driving range and sit there for half an hour. Don't hit balls. Just watch people. 
and they will understand that most people suck at golf. You know, because I'm sure they have this preconceived notion that everybody, especially the guys, they're all hitting the ball great. And it's just not the case. So it kind of gives them perspective. Yeah. Can you share a couple interesting success stories associated with Women on Course? Gosh, there's so many. I think the friendships that people have made have been absolutely phenomenal. We just had an event. I'm sort of a matchmaker as well. We had an event this weekend and, you know, you get pairs of women that come from different parts of the country and I know them and I'll go, I think Mary and Sue will be great with Julie and Barbara. You put them together in a cart and for me to get an email and say, we had the absolute best day. Thank you so much for pairing us with those two women. And they're going to keep in touch for the rest of their lives. They're going to visit each other. So that's really successful. I also love seeing the confidence that someone gains. We have a lot of women that maybe have struggles in their life. You know, they've just moved, they've just gotten divorced and they're coming to women on course as a fresh, they're trying something new. And it's very brave. I think very brave for people to come by themselves to a sport they don't know. And to watch the transition of that person from the start to the end of a three hour event and just see the confidence and the glow and the excitement that they have, that makes me feel real good that we've introduced them to something empowering for them. Yeah. Let's talk about the alcohol connection. It seems to be a strong belief that the 19th hole, which apparently starts actually at the first hole, or at least it initially, is a really important element in the success of the organization. Yeah. So, you know, there's a fine line between the alcohol consumption because we do cater to, you know, business women. And this is for some people they come out, this is like a business forum and other people, it's strictly recreational. I see this a lot of my trips. We have very high powered women and they just cut loose. So we try during the women, of course, organized parts to keep the drinking, you know, <laughs> maintained, you know, a nice glass of wine, two drink tickets a person. What they do after the event's over, I, that's when I'm like, you guys are on your own. Because there are people that love to drink the whole round through, and there are people that don't drink the whole round through. So it's a fine line. I always equate it to just going to the office Christmas party, you know, how you're going to present yourself. You know, you got to wake up the next day and see these people. And Right. Now, do companies hire women on course to develop events, women-only events for them, like at conferences and seminars? Do you do that sort of service? Yeah, we get a lot of requests, like a firm may decide that they want to introduce golf to their female professionals. So they'll have us come in and either put on an event just for them. A lot of them will come to our events and we make packages where they can bring clients and entertain them. My business partner, Tina, and I, she's uh, comes from corporate America in sales. So we both do a lot of speaking to corporations about why golf is an important business tool. Because if I get a group of 100 ladies at a company and say, how many play golf? I'll see five hands. I say, how many have been to Top Golf? I might see 70 hands. And I go, well, you realize you are golfers if you're going to Top Golf. You're golfers. So there's different definitions. So we try to educate the women how to leverage the game for business, whether you're swinging the club or not, how to be informed about golf so that you can participate in conversations, and how to gain the skills that you need so you can show up for the once a year outing. Yeah. Which is true of men also. I mean, I've been to a lot of corporate seminars and conferences where if you're not a golfer, you're really cut out of a lot of the important part of that event, you know, because that's a lot of business takes place on the golf course and relationships get built there. Yeah. And a lot of women, they'll like if it is a corporate three day weekend, they'll show up for the dinner. You've missed it. You just can't come to the dinner part when you've missed the day. And women feel guilty. Like I need to be working. I can't 
take off work and go, well, the guys have no problem doing that. That's right. They really don't. And it's more important to do that networking part. That's really, I mean, until I've seen it, I have not really understood that the golf bond you make on that golf course is so much stronger than say going to lunch. You're going through adversity together. You're going through an adventure and it's very solidifying. Yeah. And not only that, you really get to see a person for who he or she is on a golf course, just in terms of the way they behave and the way they react to adversity or success. It really tells a lot about a person. I think that's one of the benefits of the game. Does women, of course, have any formal or informal connections with the LPGA? Informal, you know, I've, over the years, I've spoken to both the LPGA and the PGA, figuring out how we could work together. You know, the LPGA has had some reorganization. They have an online site called the LPGA Network, which has some great content. So we were contributing content to that for a while. You know, we're just kind of side by side. We haven't really figured out how to really help one plus one equal 10. What about the USGA? They pay a, or they had been paying a lot of lip service to, you know, hoping women would help build the game. But now that it's popular because of COVID, maybe they've kind of pushed that priority aside. Yeah, I think, you know, that's one of, again, one of my weak areas is that I don't spend enough time sort of networking within the golf industry because I'm so busy running the organization. It's hard to lift up and try to make these inroads. And I find you know, we need golf courses for to support this. Without that, it doesn't work. Just tracking down a golf course to host a monthly event can be extremely time consuming. Extre- I mean, I have women like, hey, are you going to start in this? So, you know, they're busy. They're overstaffed. We're trying to call them and set up a tee time for eight people. And they're like, we want big tournaments. We don't want to mess with these eight ladies. Well, these eight ladies are going to turn into 50 ladies, but we got to get started. Or this golf clinic with four people is going to turn. Like I have one in Boston. They're getting 30, 40 people per golf clinic. And the guy's bringing in more pros. He can't find enough pros to keep them occupied. So we had to do a 5 o'clock class, a 6 o'clock, and a 7 o'clock class. So getting the golf resources has been a majority of my time. Just trying to get the attention of them. And once they say, yeah, we're on board, we're going to do it. Then you got to pin them down. Well, let's get the schedule. Let's get the times. And it's just very time consuming. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. Do you know Susie Whaley? I've met her when she was up at Connecticut at a course. I met her. We did an event at her course. I haven't connected with her since she's been the president. Do you think she had any impact on the advancement of women's golf at all? Oh, I think it's great. Yeah, to see a woman leading the PGA is phenomenal. I mean, I think the men who are in the business have to step up and take notice that women are here. You know, some of them are just open arms, very, very accepting, but some are very, they just don't like women in the game. They can say they do, but they really don't. (laughs) So I think having her there, I think is a good symbol and just show that, you know, we got to get women in there. Yeah. I don't know if this is one of the questions that you suggested to me that you didn't have an opinion on, but there has been a lot written lately in golf publications about golf court setup as being a disadvantage for women and that the use of you know, many golfers feel like forward tees is cheating. You know, do you have a point of view on that? Or I have a big point of view on that. A golf course is set up to play a competitive game. It's designed for a game, okay? When we get out there at Women on Course for recreation, if a woman wants to start her tee shot at the 100-yard marker, I say, here's your tee. That's where you're going to start the hole. So any golf course out there, we can make women-friendly or beginner-friendly. You can play from the established tees that the course has, or you can start wherever you want. This is not when we're in a tournament, of course, but just recreational play. 
you paid your money, you should be able to get out there. I don't like when they call the forward tees the ladies tees because some women may play from other tee boxes. Some men may want to play from those tees. So I like the idea of the forward tees and they call them the family tees. But, you know, let's say the forward tee is not in a place that's advantageous. I just tell ladies that don't start there. Start where you want to start. Yeah. Are there any courses or types of courses that you consider to be more women friendly? Have you run into any courses, for example, that go out of their way to accommodate women? Yeah, I think the courses that are designed without a lot of force carries, you know, from the tee boxes are, are friendly. The executive courses are great because they're shorter and they don't take as much time. Par threes, people think they're shorter, but they can be very difficult because you have to be an accurate golfer to play a par three. Yeah, some of them, right. So so I like the courses that are kind of wide open, a lot of fairway, a lot of chance to miss and still be in the game. Yeah, you can tell kind of from the websites if they're going to, when they describe their course, challenging, tight bunkers, you know, lots of, you know, that doesn't sound very friendly. <laughs> lots of ways to lose your ball, right? Right. Or then I read it and it says, you know, you can tell how they describe their course if it's going to be friendly. That's kind of my clues. Yeah. There's no ranking like slope rating for women-friendly courses, right? I mean, just a No. Maybe you should start that because it would be a marketing incentive for clubs to, you know, let people know, let women know that they're a woman-friendly course. You know? And that's a great, you know, I've always had, I have a big list of things I want to get to and sort of do the <laughs> women on course certified course. And we come up with our own criteria, what makes it women-friendly. Like, you know, do they have a real bathroom out there or is it a portage on? You know, that's yeah. important. Yeah. You know, the four, like we played one course in Squaw Valley and it was a beautiful course, but in the middle of the fairway, they had reeds and streams and junk. So you couldn't just hit the ball. There was always in the middle of the fairway, something that was going to grab your ball. And ladies, that was the most difficult course we've ever played. I would imagine wine selection would rate up there highly with a women-friendly uh, rating, right? Yes. There's a course in Arizona that actually has a wine cart. <laughs> oh, cool. Instead of the beer cart, they have wine on the cart. And that would be a big improvement. They have little plastic bottles of wine. <laughs> okay. And food selection too. Some of them are, you know, have like, you know, men, boy food, you know, they don't have healthy choices. So all that is goes into it, but that's a good idea. We should start that this summer. All right. You just pay me a small licensing fee for that. So have men's attitudes toward women golfers changed at all? And, and will they ever? I think it's up to the individual man. I've met a lot of great golf pros out there that just embrace the beginners, embrace women at their course, and we seek them out and they seek us out. So as long as we keep connecting with them, that's great. When we're out at the golf course, you can tell men that don't like to see us there, especially when we come in mass when there's 85 people at a weekend. Like, hey, do I need a dress to join you guys? Hey, should I put on a skirt? Oh, we get, yeah. Should I put on a skirt? We're like, do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> I mean, they kind of like are a little making fun of us, but, you know, a lot of times our women are held up because the men in front of them are too yeah. slow. Well, on behalf of all male golfers, I apologize. Okay. Okay. So do you think women are more likely or enthusiastic about taking lessons from a female golf pro compared with a man? You know, we have some of our most excellent golf pros are men. So I think as long as they're fun, engaging, they don't talk. Like we've had some pros, they just stand there and talk for 25 minutes. And the ladies are standing there with their golf club like, hey, are we ever going to hit the ball? Because they're all into themselves and talking about their tour history. But no, I don't think it matters male or female. As long as they're all about the woman golfer, that's what's most important. Okay. Last question. 
You've been doing this for 16 years. What's next for you and the organization? Well, the big step I took, you know, two years ago is Tina came on board as Tina Fox, who's my business partner. And we are really focused on blowing out the corporate segment. Right now, we've been doing individual women, getting them in the game. So we want every corporation to know that Women on Course is the place to go where we're going to bring your corporate women into using golf for business and that they're equipped and they have that skill. So we're looking to do more and we'll reach more people that way and we'll make more of an impact that way. 30,000 people is a lot of people in some respects, but we'd like it to be three, four, five million women that we're communicating with. And we can do that now with the internet, with the platform. So we're stepping up the game here. Yo, I would imagine this podcast alone will probably generate an at least a million more members. Do you think? Absolutely. <laughs> so what, do you want to plug anything before we uh, sign off here? Anything you want to add? Do questions I didn't ask here? No, I, we're right now we're in about 16 different markets. So people can go to our website and see where we're located and participate. If you're a corporation out there and you'd like to get involved, please let us know. And uh, if you're a golf course and you would like to host women on course events and build your female golf participation, we're a great turnkey program to get more ladies into the game. Listen, this has been fun. I learned a lot and I will never make fun of women and ask them stupid questions like those guys you talked <laughs> about. And thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 